0: slash connect, and fill out a very brief form. There's a spot to leave contact info, ask questions, and even to request prayer. Also, be sure to indicate that you listen to us through our SoundCloud podcast to let us know where you're listening. May the Lord be with you this day. Grace and peace to you. It's good to be in God's house, isn't it? Amen. A uh, couple of just housekeeping items before I get started. First of all, it's Family Sunday, so that means we have our kids, K through 6th grade, in our in our service with us instead of having kids church. Um, and I like to say this, on Family Sunday, you're going to hear a few more noises. You're going to hear some stirrings and some rumblings, and parents, that is okay. I have young kids still, and man, I know that sometimes I like to... I like to suppress all those noises. I want to tell you it's okay in church to hear hear our kids with us and that's that's a wonderful sound to us, right? Yeah. Anybody agree with me? No. Okay. Good. Got that other way. Second high school item, I I I kind of through our district superintendent under the bus saying he didn't reach out to me the reason he couldn't contact me is i didn't give him my current phone number so just in case you thought it was him who didn't reach out to me to let me know i didn't he didn't have my current phone number so uh and i've had the same number for months so i'm just taking the fall for that one i didn't want it to seem like he didn't reach out to me but anyway you know if you want people to get a hold of you you kind of need them to have your current phone number so i don't know what that says but it says something Welcome this morning, um, to church and, and to the place where we gather and we turn to God's word and, uh, Look at what he has for us today. Um, As we continue kind of our journey through the Old Old Testament lectionary readings through this short season of ordinary time. So we we made it through Advent and the season of Christmas, which is not one day, but 12 days, followed by Epiphany. Um, uh, This season of ordinary time is marked by the number of Sundays um, after Epiphany. Um, And so we're kind of in this short season of of ordinary time. But today our our attention turns to the book, of Micah, Micah chapter 6. Um, and so if you have your, your Bibles, you can turn with us to Micah chapter 6, or if you have devices, you can point them um, in that direction. Last week, we, uh, or, or a couple weeks ago, we introduced our, our new emphasis, our focus for the year, um, kingdom economy. Uh, and pretty soon we'll have the banner up on the wall, but um, this year we're going to be taking a look at how the kingdom works a little different than the world works. Amen. Uh, we as the people of God are invited into a place uh, that looks and acts and responds and lives differently than the rest of the world. So it's a privilege um, to, to today look at the, at the book of Micah in the sixth chapter. Uh, as we read the, the, the scripture today, uh, again from Micah chapter 6, I'll be starting in verse 1 and reading through verse 8. I invite those who are willing and able out of reverence for the reading of God's word to please stand As I read for us Micah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Hear what the Lord is saying. Arise, lay out the lawsuit before the mountains. Let the hills hear your voice. Hear mountains, the lawsuit of the Lord. Hear eternal foundations of the earth. The Lord has a lawsuit against his people. With Israel, he will argue. My people, what did I ever do to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. I brought you up out of the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of slavery. I sent Moses, Aaron, and Miriam before you. My people, remember what Moab's king Balak had planned and how Balaam's Beor son answered him. Remember everything from Shittim to Gilgal, that you might learn to recognize the righteous acts of the Lord. With what should I approach the Lord and bow down before God on high? Should I come before him with entirely burnt offerings, with year old calves? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with many torrents of oil? Should I give my oldest son for my cr- oldest child for my crime, the fruit of my body for the sin of my spirit? And verse 8, he has told you, human one, what is good and what the Lord requires from you to do justice, embrace faithful love, and walk humbly with your God. This is the word of God given to us, the people of God. We say thanks be to God. Please be seated. Start off with an odd question today. Um... (laughs) What's the deal with courtroom TV shows? Does anybody know what the deal is with courtroom I did a little research today. I didn't spend much time on this, but I did a little bit of research. Um, Judge Judy. Yeah, I'm sorry to go there. I'm sorry. Judge Judy. Um, inter- Internet Movie Database credits Judge Judy with 7,282 different episodes. Yes, and there's a bunch of different copycats that have followed right along. From, from the silly Night Court, 193 episodes with a reboot coming to the dramatic Law and Order and the other Law and Order and the other one and the other one that's no longer running. Um, another 1,247 episodes between the four uh, Law and Order uh, episodes and different varieties. Everybody likes the courtroom on TV. Everybody likes courtroom on TV, not so much in real life, right? Um, Think about testifying in court and the stress that that carries. uh, Think about receiving a subpoena to appear in court or that you're getting sued. Nobody likes being served papers. Um, In real life, nobody likes the courtroom. On TV, apparently lots of people like the courtroom. There's thousands of episodes to prove it. There are exceptions. Three of the most joyful moments of my life have happened in courtrooms as we've adopted our kids. Some good things, and beautiful and wonderful things happen in courtrooms. But for the most part, people like to watch it on TV and not so much up here and be in the presence. We have this passage in Micah as a literary type that, that is actually used fairly frequently in the Old Testament the lawsuit drama, the lawsuit uh, metaphor, this picture of, of God coming into a courtroom and suing the nation of Israel, basically saying, I- I've got problems. We've, we've got to settle this. We've got to figure out what's, what's going on here. God is suing his people, the nation of Israel. You can find these types of passages elsewhere uh, in the Old Testament. There's There's this motif or this metaphor or this rhythm or this pattern found in Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Psalms and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Hosea and here in Micah as well. The rhythm and the structure of these passages is fairly common and and familiar and, and it even holds true to how courtrooms work for us today. There's a rhythm and a structure of these passages. The the plaintiff, the one who's suing, the one who has an issue, brings the charge. This is what's happened. This is what I'm accusing you of. This is what I've noticed. This is what has happened. And then lays out the evidence for the case. Oftentimes, a statement of defense follows, a rebuttal. An answer a, a, a statement of well this is this is our side, and usually there's a verdict at the end, perhaps that's part of what makes courtroom drama so appealing entertaining i don't know why there's so many episodes of everything, but it lays out this case. There's a, there's a matter, there's evidence to be weighed and a judgment to be rendered. It's common and it's compelling and it's concise. There's some closure at the end. Metaphors in scripture are used to bring an understanding to situations. So as we take a look at, at Yahweh and Yahweh's case against the nation of Israel, that's what the courtroom does. It helps us understand that something has gone awry. And something is wrong. Party A says to party B, something bad has happened and it needs to be made right. And here it is. The prophet of Micah is proclaiming to Judah, proclaiming to the southern kingdom who he prophesied for, Yahweh is suing you. You have messed up. You have messed up and it has caught God's attention. And God, instead of just letting you stay where you're at, instead of just saying, well, I write those folks off, they're no longer paying attention. Instead, God wants to make it right. It's helpful here to to talk a little bit about Micah. Uh, we're not spending a long time in Micah, um, but Micah was a prophet to the southern kingdom. He he his message kind of paralleled um, the the rhythm of many of the prophetic writers, writers of the Old Testament. That that he would he would talk about accusations and warnings against the nation of Israel. And and there's there's actually three sections of accusations that that Micah brings. And after that, in each instance, there's statements of hope and restoration. And you'll find this time and again in, in the prophetic writings of the Old Testament that the prophets would come and say, things are messed up. We're headed the wrong direction. We're going the wrong way. And yet God will restore us. God will make it right. He warns of the invasion of of Assyria and and the falling of the kingdom and the coming of Babylon. But at the end, there's always hope at the end of Micah's accusation. This text that we read, the beginning of chapter 6, is the beginning of that third section of, of accusation. In, in the book of Micah, if you were to read the whole book of Micah, only seven chapters long, I believe, uh, this is the third section of, of of warning and accusation that Micah brings. Interestingly, he starts each section with the same word, the same anthem, and it's here. It's listen. It's pay attention. Don't miss this. This is important. <laughs> Sometimes we need that, right? <laughs> If you're a parent, you know that word. Listen, listen. As the prophet starts, he he gathers the jury for this courtroom drama, this lawsuit that he's about to play out. And who does he gather as the jury? The mountains and the hills. The very foundations of the earth are called into this drama to say, come and hear and come and listen for I have a statement to make against my people, I love that. I find that compelling. I, I love that imagery of of God calling God's creation to witness what is about to unfold, that, that somewhere laid and, and I don't want this to sound too weird or, or 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 odd, but I feel like God calling God's creation to this to this place. The creation has this conscience that, that all of, that God has made has this way of understanding this code of, of what feels right, of what is good, truly good, like deep in the bones good. The creation understands that, that that's how we were created to be. And that's how the world was created to be too. And too often, humanity kind of wanders off that path, right? Too often, we're, we're led astray by our own position or our own direction or our own ambition. Too often, humanity has walked its own way. And we, when we talk about the economy of the kingdom of God, we talk about how God has, has put life together, I think a part of that is leaning into that reality, leaning into that momentum that is, I believe, in the, the DNA of creation itself. And here the prophet calls for it. The prophet says the mountains and the hills and the very foundations of the earth are going to hear this case before us today. And then Micah moves at the start of verse three, you see quotations. If you, have, if you still have your Bibles open, you see quotations. Into, he, Micah moves into the accusation of the Lord. What is the Lord going to say? And here it is where, where Yahweh begins to speak. And he says, what have I ever done to you? to the people of God he says what have i done and and in our text we we don't really see the 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 accusation of of the prophet this is this is god's accusation to the people what have the people done what is their offense it's not really clear what what the people have done the only clue we get is at the end of of the of the passage that we read verse 8 and if you were to read more through through chapter 6 you would you would hear some of these things. But the implication is that, that verse 8 serves as a, as a corrective for them, serves as this is what is important, this is where you have gone. As you continue through chapter 6, you see, begin to see their unjust actions spelled out and a little more clear if you have time to read that throughout the week. But, but Tim Green, uh, in his commentary about this section, talks about their, their greedy business deals, their violence, their deception, the way in which they're living their lives. Good thing there's none of that around anymore. Final, the final four verses of, the chapter, uh, of chapter six spelling out the consequences of the actions that they have taken. But then Yahweh begins to lay down the history. Yahweh, in his case, begins to talk about what his activity has been, how the Lord has moved, how the Lord has guided. (laughs) He kind of brings the receipts, right? He says, don't you remember? Don't you remember our story and how we walked together, our flight from Egypt, how I redeemed you from slavery? Redemption like like paid the price for you to be redeemed out of history. He mentions the stories of, of Moses and Aaron and Miriam, who would have been key figures for the nation of Israel. For anyone who had studied the Torah, for anyone who had, had gone to temple and worship, would have heard of Moses and Aaron and Miriam and the work that they did as they brought the nation out of Egypt. And into the promised land. It talks about Balaam and Balak, right? And if you don't know this story, you can look it up numbers 22 to 24. If you like a good story, read numbers 22 to 24 this week. Balak was a, was a foreign king that wanted to send Balaam to, to Israel to curse the nation. And that was his job. He had, he had one job, Balaam, one job. Every time Balaam opens his mouth to, to curse Israel, blessing comes out of his mouth. He goes back to Balak and says, I I don't know what happened. He says, go back, try again. Opens his mouth, sends blessing again. Go back, try again. Three times. He blesses the nation of Israel. All we remember from the story, though, is the talking donkey. So you're like, where does that fit in? You got to read the story to figure that out, okay? It's always good to refresh on the talking donkey story. This is the case. That the Lord had acted righteously to the people of Israel. The Lord had, had redeemed Israel and brought Israel into the promised land. And in this lawsuit, Yahweh says, what's the deal? What have I done? Because this is what I remember. This is how I've served you. This is how I've walked with you through these days, I have done all these things for you. And where are you? It's at this point that the quotation ends. If you're paying attention to the, to the text, this is where he closes his case. At the end of verse 5, the prosecuting attorney has made the case, laid out the charge, and has rested what's going to happen. This is the pivot point in the courtroom drama, right? This is where defense gets to take over. And Micah gives voice to the people being sued, to humankind, to the nation of Israel. And, well, <laughs> we can say the defense isn't great, okay? It's not a fantastic defense that comes through. I want you to listen to it. I want you to read through it and listen to it. It's, it's a little moody, it's a little sarcastic, snarky, exaggerated. It's a little snippy as you read through the defense of the nation of Israel, verses 6 and 7. You remember being a child, and getting a chore, right? Mom comes to check on the chore, and what happens? I don't know what happened when you did your chore. I'm sure it was perfectly done and wonderfully done. Me, not so much, right? Mom comes back to check and says, do it again. And you say, what? Do you expect me to get every crumb off the kitchen floor? I mean, sheesh, what a a tyrant. Dad, you wanted me to empty the grass clippings after I mowed the lawn? You just said mow the lawn. You didn't say empty the grass clippings. Totally what it reminds me of, right? The nation of Israel starts off with these kind of passive, kind of simple questions or or statements, and then they just escalate. What what should we do when we come to worship? Should we bring a burnt offering, year-old calves? Then he talks about thousands of rams. You know, God, well, who has thousands of rams to give you? Who has rivers and torrents of oil to offer on your behalf? And then in the, the fullest statement of exaggeration... And hyperbole he says, "What should I give my oldest child? the nation of Israel is kind of like a sarcastic teenager, right? Like, what do you want me to do? What do you want out of me i 'll tell you for a lot of my life and and, and as I would read this this passage i 've kind of saw this kind of as as an anti-sacrificial text, like Micah's kind of setting aside the the sacrificial system and and giving us a new new emphasis. Uh, And and I'm not sure that that, that's completely accurate. Micah doesn't change anything about the system. Micah doesn't say, you no longer have to do this or that. The burnt offerings that you once gave, well, now they're obsolete, now they're passe. I think me, growing up, reading this text, and hearing it for a lot of my adult life was kind of put my 21st century lens to this passage. But Micah wasn't changing anything about the system that was in place. Micah doesn't really do that. Before and Micah, after Micah's writing, there's no change in temple sacri- or te- temple practice in the sacrificial codes or in the rituals that, that were given for Israelite worship, what Micah does do is ask the question of what the heart is like underneath the practices of faith and the rhythms of worship that the Israelite nation had begun to practice and had practiced for years. What's inside truly matters. As you go to temple, the heart matters. He says justice is good, so it needs to be done. The people of God have to be involved in doing justice. In actively pursuing and seeking and bringing about justice in our world. The second phrase, it says, embrace faithful love. That's a, that's a new translation of a familiar verse. Any of you remember it a little differently? Love mercy, right, is, is what comes out of my brain as, as, I, as I read or as I quote that last phrase of verse 8. The Hebrew word there is hesed. Has said hebrew it's the Hebrew word for genuine and faithful, sacrificial love. And, and so Hesed is actually the, the, the object of, or the noun of that phrase. And so to love mercy uh, is, is not really a, a great translation, but it, it, it kind of flows a little bit better, and it's how we all memorized it when we were young, right? Hesed is this, this picture of love. That is full and complete and the people of God are should be known as the people who love the most who love without reservation who have embraced that lifestyle and said this is this is how I want to live this is the way that God is calling me to live and should be embraced fully and completely And finally, this humble, faithful journey with God that can't be short-circuited, can't be skipped. There's no shortcuts in the journey with God. All these things that Israel was accustomed to doing, this system that had been set up, the ritual, the sacrifice, the year-old calves, the rams, the oil that was offered in worship. Micah was saying they all amount to not a whole lot. Without the right heart. Without a changed life. Without a, a sense of what Yahweh, how Yahweh was calling them to live. Without the right attitude. And for the church of the 21st century, the message is the exact same. Sometimes in our lives, our, our rhythms of worship, the practices that we have. Yeah, pastor, I love coming to church. I read my Bible every day. I pray to God. It says constantly, but maybe it might not be there, but I try throughout my day. This is not about an ancient sacrificial system as we read it today in Micah chapter 6. It is about our today. It's about the rituals and the practices that you and I subscribe to each day. That Micah was referencing the the practices, the, the worship practices of his day. And today as we read it, we address the worship practices that we are a part of. The rituals we ascribe to, the rhythms that we adopt must come from a place of a true and right and proper heart. It's not enough to go through the motions to make the right steps. (laughs) Come to church, I pay, I even pay tithes and offerings sometimes. I like to write the checks to the missionaries. I even go to the Bible studies sometimes. For Micah and this lawsuit that, that Yahweh brings before the people of God, which includes you and me. Micah has said, You know what the Lord requires of you and of me? To do justice. To actively participate in seeking justice along with this world. To embrace faithful love. To be the people of God, should be to be known as the people who love most consistently, love most generously, and also to walk humbly with God. Through our days. As we close today, we're going to practice one of those rituals. We're going to share in the Eucharistic meal together. So at this time, I'm going to invite the praise team and those who are prepared to serve to come forward. This text is not about getting rid of any of the practices or any of the rhythms or any of the rituals that Israel had or that we have today. This is a text that opens our eyes to the reality of what God expects of us that when we truly have our lives captured by the self-giving God of creation who calls the mountains and hills together as the jury for this lawsuit we are drawn to a new way of living a kingdom economy of living of of reaching out to others When we truly encounter the kingdom of God, God's economy here on earth looks just like it does in heaven. And you and I get to participate in the bringing of that kingdom. As we go to work, as we go to school, as we live from day to day, as we meet up with our friends, we're overwhelmingly compelled to do this to not just go through the motions Act the right way, do the right things, but to embrace the spirit of God, to do justice, to embrace the fully embrace fully the faithful love, the hesed of God, and to walk humbly with God each day. May that be our story. Amen. Amen. As we serve communion. Um, we, we serve communion by intinction, which means you'll be invited uh, a little, in just a little bit to come to, come to one of our three uh, serving stations. Um, if you would like to be served bread, you can just hold your hands out like this and a piece of bread will be placed in your hands and you can dip it in the juice and partake of the elements right there. If you prefer, we also have some prepackaged um, communion elements that you can just take from the bowl um, and then return to your seat and consume the elements at that point. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he gathered with his disciples in what, what came to be known as the upper room. And, and as they were gathered, they were celebrating the Passover meal, which was a ritual that had this rhythm and this normal script, almost, that they followed. And it was during this meal that, that Jesus changed that script. During the meal, he took bread and gave thanks and broke it. And gave it to his disciples and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. As often as you do this, remember me. Likewise, after the meal, he took the cup. After giving thanks, he shared it with them and said, This cup is the cup of the new covenant, filled with my blood, which is poured out for you, for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you do this, remember me. And so today, as we share in communion, we are remembering the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we join with people around the world today who are doing this very same thing. I love that picture that we are invited to the table with all those who follow Jesus Christ around this world. Nazarenes around the world and Lutherans and Baptists and all those that follow Jesus. We gather at the same table and we remember our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What a beautiful picture. And as we gather, we're sent out to do the very work that God invites us to do in the text of Micah. As I pray, we're going to serve the the praise team. And then after I pray, I'll give the invitation and you can come at your own leisure to one of the three communion stations this morning. Heavenly Father, today we worship you, and in this moment we ask that you would consecrate these elements. May they become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we might become for the world the body and blood of Christ, and be the hands of feet of Christ in the world. Lord, thank you for this ritual. Thank you for this tradition, this practice that you gave us as a means of grace that you could remind us once again of the beauty and the joy that come in worshiping you. And Lord, may we not forget how you've called us to be in the midst of our worship practices from day to day. And thank you for this reminder from Micah this week. Be with us now as we partake in Christ's name, amen. The table is set, the invitation given, come and dine. Amen, what a blessing it is to gather and to be reminded of what the Lord requires of us, that our hearts be drawn to the things of God. As I conclude with the benediction, I invite those who are willing and able, would you please stand to join us? And in our church, we kind of have this tradition that we we hold out our hands as a physical reminder that we receive this blessing and benediction today. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all, that we might do what the Lord requires of us, to do justice, embrace faithful love, and to walk humbly with our God. Amen. Amen. Go in the love of Christ. Thanks for joining us today on the Mountain Home Church the Nazarene podcast. Don't forget to visit us at mhnazarene.org slash connect if you'd like to connect with us and have a great week.